Uh, last week we started talking, we called uh, this section glimpses. And so glimpses are things that sort of pass by quickly. You, you sort of see it, but you don't see it. You're not exactly sure. You can't focus it. You can't study it. You can't put it under the microscope. You can't repeat it. You can't do that thing to it so that you can get it from a different angle. You can't come from behind it. You have a glimpse. There is a moment. And what we've been looking at are moments where we glimpse the supernatural. And the supernatural um, is something that we, that we come across regularly and identify infrequently. It's, um, it's, a, it's an absolutely regular part of our everyday, and yet so frequently we don't see it at all. We, we, we choose to live and believe that there is basically a physical world, and it's the way that we relate to God typically as well, that we say there's a physical world, and so I will deal with everything physical that I possibly can. Things have gotten so bad, wow, now I have to pray. Right? Have you ever said something like that? Not out loud, just in the way that we actually are. Things are so bad now that I have to pray. And then God would say, hey, you know what? Let, let's blend that right at the beginning. The regular weave of your day, the regular activities that you, that you participate in, going to work and shopping and going to play baseball, whatever it is, all that stuff that you feel is very, very physical, so physical that when you come home at night, you're sore, right? That kind of physical. It's all in the body. But in the same place, you're constantly existing in a spiritual realm at the same time. It is not a separate place that you go. It's not a trip that you take somewhere else. It is where you are all the time. We just choose to not behave as if that's true. And when there are the moments of crisis, well, that's when we transition, right? That's when we can start to see something else. When there are hard things that come into your life, as there always will be. One of the promises that Jesus gave to us is that in this life, you will have suffering. So anytime you come in and say, well, it, there's suffering, I guess that means that there's no God. You go, no, 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 God is the one who told us that there would be suffering. Suffering is part of life. The gift is life. Suffering is part of it. And so we come through. But in those moments uh, where you become more focused, shall we say, when there is pain, then we're sometimes more open to uh, experience, um, sometimes more open to be willing to experience a more clear view into the supernatural. And then at other times, you know, it just invades our world. And last week we heard a story from Dan where he described what happened and how his past had been much like my past had been and maybe like your past had been as well. You heard about spiritual things and you kind of said, yeah, I'm sure, to a degree, right? I mean, obviously not like those people are talking about. Because, and, we, and we would have this way of saying supernatural things Sure, God does supernatural things. He made the earth for pity's sake. Supernatural. But then on a regular basis, we're not seeing the, uh, the water being split every, every day, so therefore miracles don't exist. We don't see uh, people fed from, from five loaves and two fishes every day, so, so therefore miracles don't exist, right? And, and so we, we kind of separate those things out, and we have mostly physical as the way that we choose to live. And so this glimpses of supernatural, what I wanted to do was to try and give you a spot where you could see things perhaps through somebody else's eyes. And I don't know what all of your stories are. I don't know what experiences you've had. And, and so what I wanted to do was to try and give you glimpses that other people have had so that you can expand 
your awareness so that when something does come into your life, you are not so surprised by it. It's not a shock. You're not so disoriented. You go, oh, I've heard about this in the past. And so we started talking. Dan gave us a story about a presence that was in his bedroom one night that came and it was just powerful and foreboding and, and, and bringing about fear. And, and, the, and one of the things that we had said, a, a great way to identify some of this activity is to be able to see that evil or sin brings about isolation. Sin always moves us towards isolation. So sin is the spiritual word that we use to, do, uh, to describe not hitting the mark, n- not, not achieving, not, not, not being the best, not, not acting perfectly, um, Acting below the standard of God is what we would describe it, but if you don't believe in God or you don't really like sin, then we say, just not hitting your own expectations. You said you were going to do it, you didn't do it. That separation is what we describe as sin. So when, when sin comes into your life, what you will find is that it brings about isolation. It moves you towards isolation. It moves you out of relationship. Anyone ever been in a relationship with another person where you found that there were days that I just don't want to talk to that other person? Is today one of those days? (laughs) That's the way it happens. And we know, like, there's something broken between us. I'm I'm waiting for her to apologize. Once she apologizes, then things will be okay. And then the relationship can go back. And then we can feel close again. Well, this this isolation is one of those things that it, it happens in steps. You don't go from, I'm in great relationships with everyone, to I'm in no relationship with anyone. It doesn't happen like that, but it's a movement. The Spirit of God moves us towards community. It moves us, He moves us into relationship. He moves us into a spirit of unity. The opposite of that moves us out of relationship, out of community, away from friends, away from family. I feel alone. There's no one around me. This is something that we can start to experience. And so what Dan was describing was he had a great sense that there was a separation, that he was alone, that even though Kristen was right beside him, that she could not intervene in the experience that he was having at that point. He was isolated. And in that place, there was a place of pressure that I feel like there's weight on me. I feel like there's there's emotional, but there's a physicalness about it as well. And so that situation is one that we want to be able to Say, it's not going to be prescriptive, as in this is not going to happen to everyone every time. But it's a glimpse of something that has happened. And and, and not by somebody somewhere else many, many years ago, by someone within our community within the last six months. These are things that do happen. And so I wanted you to be able to start to be able to identify. And when you can identify, you're more able to battle. You don't have to just go with that flow. There's something you can do about it. And so there's a passage that I think has been instrumental in my life in trying to deal with the things that come, um, sometimes for me, just in my mind, but sometimes in my experiences as well. It's from 2 Corinthians. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, he went around the Mediterranean Rim planting churches. He, he went starting groups of people who um, heard about Jesus thought that that was a a pretty remarkable story, and they said, but that's what I want. I I, want to do that. I want to be involved in that. And so they started a community that we describe as a church, but they just said it was a group of people getting together who followed Jesus, and they wanted to learn how to follow him better. So that's what they did. 
So after Paul started a church in Corinth, a, a major metropolitan city, uh, the center of all kinds of trade routes, this is a big deal kind of city. He goes away and he's traveling. And, and so he keeps it in, in touch by, by letters. And so they write letters back and forth. And we have in our New Testament two ancient historical documents. One of them is called 1 Corinthians and one of them is called 2 Corinthians. If, if you go through and study them, you will agree probably with many of the ancient manuscript scholars to say there are probably more than two, but we only have two. They seem to refer to other letters. But we're going to jump into number two. So this is, he's, there was something that happened. He wrote 1 Corinthians and said, hey, think about this. And then, and then they do stuff and then they write back. And then it, it sounds like he, there, there was another letter and then they wrote back. And then, it, then we get to where 2 Corinthians would hit in the actual history. And so he writes this again to try, I want you to understand how things work in this world. And inherently, what he has brought up time and again is the emphasis that the battle is real. It's not just something in your head. It's not just a thing that happens to you and nobody else. There is a battle. There is a spiritual battle, and that battle is real. And I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you want to, you can follow on the screen, it'll come up. If you want to use the uh, webpage, you can do it there too. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. Right? This is what uh, Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage, world at, we do not wage war as the world does. And I, I, we're going we're gonna to take that verse and blow that up. We, we're planning on that one as well because it's fantastic to figure out what does that actually mean. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, not the same. They're the opposite. They are, it's distinctly different. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. So a stronghold, the, the language that they'd be using there is another way to say a castle. Like if you wanted to go and be safe, you would go into a stronghold. That is where you go when the people are oppressing you. You close the doors, lock the windows, and it is strong. And you are being held in there. And so all of your stuff is safe in there. <clears throat> so he's taking that familiar kind of language and, and, and using it to point into a spiritual place. So if you were going to not defend but attack, what you want is a, a foothold. And the better your foothold is, um, you move it along, we would now describe it as a beachhead. What you need is a place that you would um, run operations through. That would be a stronghold in this context. And so what he's suggesting is that uh, there are strongholds, places that the, what's inside is trying to defend them. So spiritually, they're defending themselves. And they have found a piece of territory in a land, and they are holding that. And from that land, that stronghold, they are running operations. That's the description of what is happening spiritually in our world and in our lives. So um, but the, the, the weapons that Paul speaks of have the power to destroy those strongholds, not just to try and um, live with them, to try and make the best of them, but to destroy, to demolish, to remove those strongholds. And he goes on to describe what that looks like. He says, we demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the, the demolishing, the strongholds that he was talking about, he then goes on to say we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So these are the things that we are attacking in a spiritual kind of way. They are arguments, things that you have in your head, and I know you've had them, where what should you do? And there is a whole list of argument that comes out. This is why I can't do it. So if I, if I say to you, just as, as an example that applies to us sort of in this context right now, God will provide whatever you need to do whatever he has asked you to do. If he is calling you to participate and give financially, then God will provide all that you need to do it. Now tell me the arguments that are coming out in your head right now, right? Because there's a long list of them that start to come out. That's not reasonable. That's not rational. Yeah, but he didn't think about it. Doesn't he know about what I have? And I've got this other thing. And there is a whole long list that we will come back with as an argument to say, no, I can't trust because. And there are arguments that will come up that describe why you can't have a family that's different than the family that you grew up with. And, and, and the habits that your family grew up are, are, are now yours. And there's, that's just, there's just nothing we can do about it. There are arguments that come up that say, I can't believe that because, and here's a list of reasons why. An argument comes up just to avoid having to think about the issue at all. Instead of dealing with the actual issue, we can argue about why we shouldn't have to talk about the issue. And the argument is the distraction. And so you don't move forward, you just stay in that same place circling. But he's describing these spiritual weapons as being able to demolish arguments and every pretension everything that pretends to set itself up as a god, every form of idolatry, everything that gets our first attention, everything that we make our decisions based on, that's a way to think of the way we relate to God. The pretensions that are there, these arguments, these um, pretensions are destroyed in this spiritual battle. And then what we do is we take captive. So as the thought comes in, you can't stop a thought from entering your head. You can decide what happens with it after that. And so he's saying, take it captive. When it comes in, it must pass through Christ. It's, it's like uh, going in, in, into the airport. You must go through the um, metal detector. Every person goes through. And so you come through that and you are forced to comply with the rules. And they will scan you looking for metal. What's that metal in your pocket? Oh, yeah, I forgot my change. Take it out. Oh, it's your watch. Take it off. It's your belt buckle. Take it off. They will cause you to conform to the rule. This is what we are called to do with our thoughts, that we would take them captive. That When it comes in, you don't have to follow that thought. You get to decide where it goes. This is all part of that spiritual world that we battle in, but it doesn't seem to do something with your hands because before it got to your hands, it was in your mind. And so often the battle is in your mind. And that's why we fill our minds with truth so that there is so much truth there that the darkness has a hard time. The lies have a hard time. The deceptions, the pretensions have a hard time finding a foothold, finding a stronghold, finding the beachhead, finding a place that it's safe. We take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. 
So I wanted to give you glimpses again of a couple of other people who have had experiences in this way. So I want to ask Justin if you would come up and uh, tell us some of your experience that you have had um, in your travels to Africa and here as well. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, I've got a, a few little stories. I don't know what the Spirit's going to say exactly, but I'll start with uh, one particular story. When I was here, uh, I was hosting a Tuesday night prayer group, and uh, after a couple years, I was absolutely exhausted, and I was beginning to, to get a little bit embittered um, just just serving. I, I, was getting, I was getting exhausted and getting bitter. And one night I came home. I had 10 minutes before everyone was supposed to show up at my house, and I had nothing for them. I had no love left. I had no servitude left. I was exhausted. And I laid on my bed, knowing that someone was going to walk through probably early. And I just said, Jesus, I need you. And I envisioned myself in the heavenly realms and for the first time, I saw Jesus holding a lamb and walking around a garden. And he had his back to me, and he was tending to this garden. But the thing about this garden is the garden was desolate. Like the shrubbery, ugly. The, the lawn was all ripped up and yellow and dirty and patches and whatever. And he turned around and walked over to me. And I couldn't see his face. I just saw his hands reach out. So I knew I was supposed to receive something. So I put out my hands, and into my hands fell thousands upon thousands of seeds. And they were just falling all at my feet because I couldn't contain them all. And then I looked up, and I just heard, that's enough. And so the Lord, that was a couple years ago or a few years ago now, and the Lord has given me recent revelation that the desolate garden is because the Lord says he's near to the brokenhearted. And so the brokenhearted are in these places that just feel sometimes physically are desolate. And I had a revelation a long time ago when the Lord was telling me every day, I'm near to the brokenhearted, I'm near to the brokenhearted. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to go into prison ministry. And then my heart got ripped out by a circumstance, and the Lord was telling me that he was going to be near to me. And since then, I know that if God is near the brokenhearted, then I need to go to those desolate gardens with all the incorruptible seed that Yeshua has given me to plant. Because those are his seeds. And I need to go not to the beautiful gardens, but to the desolate ones. And very much like Dan's story that I got to hear uh, a while back, I've had very similar experience. One night in Tanzania, I went with a young man, and we could sense that our motel was just different in its atmosphere. I'd been there five times already. This time it was different. And I went to sleep one night, and I couldn't sleep, and I felt a darkness enter my room with the weight. It, it, it was disgusting, the feeling on my body was disgusting and perverted. And so I only knew to do one thing, put on worship music and start praising the Lord underneath my mosquito net. And after about 45 minutes, the darkness left. It had to. But the next day, I was telling the young man that I was traveling with, and the young man said, I, I told him this story, and he said, I wasn't going to tell you, but I turned over in my bed, and there was two people standing beside me, and they didn't have any faces. 
So I said, okay, well, we're going to check out of this hotel. So we tell the local people that we're working with, and they're like, yeah, we think the manager's practicing witchcraft to get business. We're like, oh, well, thank you for telling us, but we're going to get out of here and go to this Christian hotel down the street. So we go to the Christian hotel, and the mosquito nets have big holes in them, and, you know, it's, it's not as nice as the place we were in in terms of the physical luxuries, but we felt safe. But that night I got attacked because I went to close my window, and it got jammed, and when I finally closed it, my finger got stuck between two window panes, and I ripped it out, and the nail was ripped out from the root and still attached on the side. And then about 10 minutes later, as I was trying to go to sleep, as I could feel a heartbeat swelling in my finger, I was about to be sick and I woke up on the ground in a pool of my own blood. And I've, I've fainted before from piercings or from this and that, things I shouldn't have been doing. But this wasn't like fainting, because when you faint, the world just goes and the light disappears. But this was like I was punched out and laying in a pool of my own blood. And then I was taken to the clinic, and the head nurse said, you know, brother, just because you, you went from the witchcraft place to the Christian hotel, the demons have followed you because you preach the word of God. They know you were coming here, and they're trying to prevent the word of God from going forth. And I can tell you that three times I've had the experience in my dream that there was some evil before me and I could not speak. Something was holding my tongue and I was being choked and I couldn't breathe. And this was in the physical realm in my sleep, but it was something very spiritual that was going on. And all I can think to do is say the name Jesus, but I couldn't talk. So I just... Jesus! And I wake up screaming the name Jesus, and then I just start praising him, and immediately I fall back asleep. So that's happened to me three times. So I know that the Lord has many good plans for my life because of the resistance that I keep facing. But there's also beautiful stories. I was at a conference, and they were talking about our four bodies, our celestial body, our spirit body, our physical body, and our terrestrial body. And one lady says, have you ever met your spirit man? And I looked at her and said, no. She goes, go home and ask God to meet your spirit man. I'm like, okay. So with a little mustard seed of faith, I laid on my bed, and I said, okay, God, show me my spirit man. And for the first time, I could hear my landlords listening to the TV really loud, which they never do. So I was distracted. But all of a sudden, I saw a photograph. And it was a photograph that is in one of my photo albums. And it's a picture of me on my birthday with my, you know, at a pool party. And I've got my eyes wide open, and I'm looking at the camera, looking at someone with my mouth open, so excited. And I was about to blow out the birthday candles, and then I heard it. The angels were singing happy birthday, and they said my name. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, Lord. So I laid there for another five or ten minutes, and I was kind of in disbelief. And then the angels sang it again. They sang happy birthday to me. So I went back the next day to this conference, and I said, I met my spirit man. I'm an eight-year-old boy, and I don't know if the Lord is telling me to grow up or if he's saying he's happy because I'm like a child. And she goes, he's saying that you're on the beginning of this journey and it's okay to be excited. So I know I'm running out of time here, so I'm just going to share just one of those whimsical stories that happens. So me and my roommates were sitting around the fire the other night, and as some of you know, I lost my, my best friend has gone to be with the Lord. I never lost her. She's not lost at all. She's found, and she's in Jesus right now. Um, but we had a very special relationship, and 
uh, a song came on while we were sitting around the fire, and I just started moving around and kind of dancing and trying to be playful and cheer myself up. And they said, oh, Karis would have loved this song. And I'm like, yeah, I'm picturing us covering this song right now, and Karis is dancing in her polka dot dress. Two days later, I go over to Karis's parents' house, because they're some of my best friends in the whole world, and Mavanwe, her mom says, oh, she was talking about Karis's instrument. She's like, go get her djembe, go get her old drum. So I walked into the room where she was staying before she went to be with the Lord and opened up her closet, and there was her djembe that I got her as a birthday present. And I pulled it out and tried to get out, and the zipper broke right off the bag. And I'm like, hmm. So I just moved the zipper around with my finger and pulled out the drum and walked past Mavanwi's room, and there on her bed was a polka dot dress, like the exact one that I was picturing Karis dancing in. And I'm like, that's cool. I mean, it doesn't seem like much, but it touched me. And I'm like, oh, God, you're so funny. I love the way that you love me because you know exactly how I hear you. And then so I tell Mavanwi, I'm like, that polka dot dress, man, we were just talking about that. And she goes, really? Isn't that something? And then, you know, I play the drum for a minute, and then I walk back into a room, put the drum back in the case, open the closet door, and right there where I pulled out the drum, her polka dot dress was sitting on the ground. And I tell my roommate, Steve, and he goes, Karis is still flirting with you from heaven. <laughs> He's like, don't worry, God, he won't really see anything. But it's just, it's another one of those little things that the Lord knows how to speak to us. He knows how we're going to understand something, and every little detail matters to him. The details that matter to us matter to him. He, he's totally, he cares about all the little fine tunings. So praise the name of Jesus because he does give us glimpses of the supernatural in the natural because that incorruptible supernatural seed needs to be found in the physical realm. I mean, Jesus came to us through the line of David, a physical lineage, right? So praise the name of Jesus, and thank you for letting me share these stories. Thanks, Justin. I think part of the idea of the glimpse is also to be able to say what somebody else sees might not be what you would see, and it might not be the way that you would see it. So the, the story, the, the way I tell it, looks one way. And the story, the way Justin experiences it, sounds a little different in the way that Dan has an experience. They're, they're not the same. And so you, you, don't, you don't want to be able to say, well, it doesn't sound like the way that I'm familiar, therefore that doesn't sound like it could be true. We're told always test the spirits. We're always told, evaluate what that is like. As Christians, we, we, we sometimes become a little bit too cautious about saying, I can't Listen to anything that doesn't sound exactly like it always sounds for me. God's interaction with us is larger than that. And so they, they don't always look the same, and that's why the glimpses are important to be able to experience things through somebody else's eyes, see it through their eyes in a different way, so that we can learn to understand what's actually happening around us. We, we don't see the same things even when we go outside. Um, so and, and another story, uh, Jim. Wilson has had uh, some remarkable stories that have happened to him. And interestingly, so many, oh, not so many, a couple of them even involve his history with this, this church from when he was a child. I just find those stories to be amazing, but I'm not leading you in that direction. You take it to where you need to go. Thanks, Brian. 
you are welcome, sir. Wow, thanks, Justin. Appreciate that story. Is it on? Yeah. Have you ever felt a nudge? How about a push? Something that urges you along, pushes you forward or away from something. Hey, maybe it's your mom in your head, right? Trying to protect you. I've had a number of experiences in my life that I didn't understand. One happened, I recall, when I was 16, I was building swimming pools. My stepfather owned a business, <clears throat> and he was a bit of a tyrant, and I was working 17-hour days, and at one point we were working up in Woodville, just north of Lindsay. And uh, we came home from work, I came home from work about 10 o'clock, and he said, you have to go right back because some kids have vandalized the pool and we have to fix it before the problem gets worse. So went back to Woodville and then drove home at 2.30 in the morning after having been working since 5.30 in the morning. So I was deadbeat. And on my way home, I fell asleep at the wheel. And it was an Econline van. I, I know Terry probably knows what that is, but some of you won't. It's a van which had a flat window and the motor sat between the seats. And when I fell asleep at the wheel, the fellow that was with me was asleep in the passenger seat, and I fell asleep at the wheel momentarily, doing 60 miles an hour, coming down through Mount Albert, and someone punched me awake and said, turn the wheel. And I jammed the steering wheel as the big four by eight sheet plywood sign that says Mount Albert, Newmarket, whatever, went zooming by the side of the van at 60 miles an hour. I missed it by inches and the truck slid across the gravel shoulder onto the dry pavement, sideways at 60 miles an hour. And you can imagine what happened, but I'll tell you, the dry pavement ripped the tires right off the truck. So here we are flying through the air, and I see in the distance, there's a head, some headlights coming. That's all I remember, except an overwhelming strength of someone holding me as the truck tumbled down the highway and crashed into the ditch with me underneath it. I scrambled out from the truck and ran around the side. It was full of chemicals and tools and chainsaws and whatever tools we had. They were spread all the way down the highway and the fellow that was with me 
I didn't know where he was, and I ran to the side thinking the truck was going to blow up. I ripped the door off the side of the truck and he fell out, all covered in blood. I thought he was dead. I dragged him away from the truck, and as I did, the police cruiser came screaming to a halt. And he got <laughs> this young man, his very first shift on his own as an OPP officer, shone the light in my face and said, were you in that? He said the truck went 25 times end over end. I don't know. I wasn't counting. <laughs> but I do know someone held me. I went out the window of that truck and I was holding on to the post of the window for 25 tumbles, I guess. But I didn't have the strength. Someone I wasn't a Christian. I had friends who were Christians that came to this church. And my friend's dad came to see me. And he said, Jim, you've been saved by God. And I'm like, pardon? He said, did you feel anything? And I said, of course. And I explained. And he that was your guardian angel. <laughs> guardian what? <laughs> I have never experienced more certainty that someone was holding me in a way than that. So when I read all these verses in the Bible about ministering angels, you know, Joseph was met by an angel, Mary was met by an angel. Why? It was to protect Jesus when Joseph was told, get out of here. There are so many instances in the Bible, but, and Jesus talked about angels and demons and he was met by the devil and tempted by the devil. We're just not aware that standing right here on this stage are angels and demons. They're here. They're part of our... They're not in our dimension. We don't see them unless we are in a special situation like what I was. I have other... I've had other experiences as well, but I'll tell you one more, and that was, I was having a very difficult time. I was 42 years of age. My marriage was coming to an end, and I went to visit my stepfather in Sarasota, and I was having a very difficult time, and I borrowed his truck, and I went for a drive, and it was late at night, and I drove through Sarasota, and I was in tears, and I had to stop at this stop sign and a young lady pulled up beside me 
And she was this far away from me, and she said, Jim, what are you doing? She said, you're 42 years old. Go home. This is danger. And I was like, stunned. And she pulled away and drove down the street into the subdivision. And I sat there stunned, thinking, who was that? How do they know my name? So I quickly turned the truck around and followed her down the street. It was a dead end. And there were no trucks. There were no vehicles. There was no one. So what did I do? I drove home. <laughs> I was scared because I knew that I was in danger and that my angel had just told me. Why? The next day I found out there was a major crime in that area and a couple of people were shot. Was my angel on the job? I don't know. But I know for sure that I was protected that day. One other experience I'm going to tell you, and that was I bought a home in Unionville. And my family moved in. It was a fairly large home, and the second floor was bedrooms all around, a large spiral staircase, so there was a, like a veranda all the way around, or a walkway. And my four-year-old daughter was now in her own bedroom. The three girls used to share a room that time when we moved in to this brand new home, she was by herself. And the very first night, she's sleeping in her room. At one o'clock in the morning, she came screaming out of her bedroom. And I ran. And this four-year-old is running past the stair. And I grabbed her, and she was screaming with wide eyes, but she was not awake. And I was terrified. What is going on? This happened every single night for two weeks. And finally, I said something to our pastor at church at Unionville Alliance. And Ralph Westcott, do you know him? He was the assistant pastor. He said, we need to come to your home. And I am like, for what? He said, we need to come and pray in your home. So he came and he anointed Sarah's bedroom. He anointed the floors. And he prayed. Sarah never woke again screaming. It happened every night for two weeks straight. And after he prayed, nothing. I don't know what was in our home, but I know something was, and it was now gone. Don't think that the world isn't full of angels and demons.
They, are, they exist. And your life will be much better when you acknowledge that God, that the Lord Jesus Christ told the truth in the Bible when he talks. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Justin. I think, uh, again, just what comes to my head right away is um, when, when you're telling a story about something that has happened to you like this, no one in the room understands what you experienced. And there is, um, there's a side that you tell the physical story. These are the things that happened. Here is the, the beginning and then the middle and then the end. And in that time, you remember. And you, you, don't, you don't remember the events. You, you remember the experience. And there is, there is a, um, an unquantifiable, not describable way that you experience that as you recall and you'll see that many people, as they tell these stories, there's a moment where the emotion just rises again, and they say, I remember what happened. And I don't remember the event. I remember what happened outside of that event. And they experience that again in that place. And that's why you'll hear statements, I'm absolutely sure, like never before in my life had ever, that kind of a moment happens. So I would also tell you that um, if this does happen to you, if you come across your own glimpse, you have your own moment, whether it is a high point or, or, or a low point, please take the time to write it down as fast as you can in as much detail as you can because it, it, it fades, it disappears, it is, it is pulled back out of you. That kind of a moment is very, very hard to recall without some sort of guide Unless, it's, unless there's another reason for you to remember the story, but for you to pull it out on your own, very, very difficult. For you to be able to tell somebody else, very, very difficult. And you'll start to ask, did it ever happen? I don't know. Maybe I was just tired. Maybe, maybe I was hungry. And there, there will always be a reason to be able to say, and nothing ever happened. It's um, Ebenezer Scrooge saying it's a bit of bad porridge. And that's the way we can experience those things. So if you do ever have a moment, please take the time to write it down. Write it down in detail. Um, Honor the story that has been shared as it's part of a life. This is an experience that somebody else has had. It doesn't look like your life, and it didn't happen to you, and, and all the details are not the same, and it's not, it's not something for scientific discovery. It's an experience, and it's a glimpse, and a glimpse is not fully studied, and so we can't fully explain or can't fully describe the situation, but what we wanted to do is to bring you to a place where you had seen through somebody else's eyes. But before we go, I think it's very important, again, that we also take the time to put our minds back on truth and that we put our, our hearts, um, we choose to focus on, on, on Jesus Christ and his sovereignty so that we don't get distracted and get um, entertained by things that are not supposed to be our primary focus. So the, the, the point that we, we come with you, with the Jim's story tells you so clearly, again, is that we don't battle alone. We are, we are not simply on our own in these situations, even though many times that's the description that you'll hear, I felt so alone, I felt like I was by myself. There was something else that was around me. So we, we don't battle alone. There was somebody else with us. And so I wanted to take you to another passage of Scripture. And uh, if you guys could just bring that up for me, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Um, from Romans. Beautiful, beautiful book. Um, Paul, again, writing to the church in Rome, and he's trying to tell them, this is everything that I believe. He hasn't gone to visit them yet. He's planning to go visit them. And so before he goes, he's saying, hey, I'm coming, 
you, you probably heard a little bit about me. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Let me tell you what I believe. And when I come, I'm looking at you to become partners with me in my mission as I go on to Spain. That's what he is planning. And so this is part of his letter that he writes there. What then shall we say uh, in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Hardship? Car wreck? Lost friend? Visitor in the night? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Losing my job? Car getting wrecked? Losing a loved one? No. In all these things, I, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wherever we go, perfect, unbroken, four bars worth a connection. Always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is the promise that we were given by our Savior before he left. Kind Father, thank you for the way that you have intervened in our lives. God, I thank you for stories of, of uh, salvation, where, where you have helped, where you have intervened, where it was unforeseen and unexpected, and yet you showed up anyways because that's the way you love us. God, I thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit is about consistently protecting. I thank you for the, the promise that we have that Jesus himself is interceding for us. He's reminding you about us. Don't forget about Jim. Don't you forget about Dan. Don't forget about Justin. Don't forget about these people. I'm going to remind you about them. Jesus himself with our names in his mouth interceding on our behalf. May we go forward in the trust that this can bring to us. Increased confidence and assurance that we do not stand alone. We do not battle alone. We are in partnership with God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.